0: Okay, we'll look at several scriptures today, but uh, good morning again, and I uh, hope that you're all having a good week. You can pray for us, too. Our family's traveling this week up to Charlotte, North Carolina, to visit our daughter, so we won't be here next week, uh, but we'll be visiting with her, and we get to spend a little bit of time with her and her husband in in their church. He's actually um, pastoring a a little Presbyterian church in Charlotte, or just outside of Charlotte, so you could pray for him as well. When I was in college, I worked for a shoe store called the Finish Line. And I worked, actually worked a number of different kind of jobs, but they sold running shoes, which I liked. Uh, got to do something I kind of liked, and also, you know, some other athletic shoes as well. There was one Christian guy that worked in the store. I got to work with him or got to talk with him a good bit, at least when we had breaks and things like that. Uh, we could talk about things when there weren't customers coming in and we didn't need to try to sell people's shoes. And I got into one conversation. Um, he told me that his church believed and that he believed that every time you sinned, you lost your salvation. And so it was necessary, if you sinned, to confess your sin and really get saved again so that you, would, uh, you could be going to heaven. And he went on to say that certain kinds of sins then, of course, can't be forgiven. Because uh, if, you, if you sin and then suddenly were died or had a heart attack or in a car wreck and you didn't have a chance to confess it, then you wouldn't be saved. And so to he and his church, and this was a pretty prominent church in the South, um, if you you're, you're constantly going in and out of salvation all the time, um, I know of another uh, another pastor, and uh, this. Well, it was probably a couple of years ago a church that we often visit in Florida my parents were there one week and they said that they were the the pastor of the church who's normally there wasn't there and uh, when they went into the service they, they went through the whole service and a different person was doing that they asked one of the elders after the service well what happened to the pastor and it turns out what had happened is uh, the pastor had run off somebody in the church one of the other workers a lady that worked I think with children's ministries um, completely abandoned the ministry didn't go to church anymore and uh, was living in this wrong relationship. Now, sometimes that happens, and I know of some people um, who have done that for uh, perhaps 20 or 30 years. So they seem to completely walk away. Um, from the faith. They seem to walk away from Christianity completely. Now, both of those stories that I told have to do with the doctrine that we're talking about today. Is it possible for somebody to lose their salvation, uh, first of all, just by any sin? Or, uh, as some churches would teach, is it possible for somebody to lose their salvation um, by some major sin? Or, um, as some churches would teach as well, uh, it really doesn't matter um, if you continue to the end, if you follow Jesus Christ all of your life or not. Um, all the, the whole point of salvation is really you just get saved at one point and, and then you're fixed up and it really doesn't matter what you do the rest of your life. The doctrine we're looking at this morning the perseverance of the saints, really has to do with um, all of those questions, and perhaps or hopefully we can answer a number of those today. Now, I want to review just what we've gone over so far in the first four lessons that we've looked at, and looking at the Reformed faith, which is a faith to die for, it's not just a lot of intellectual arguments that we have with, with other people, but these are doctrines that are in the scripture that are important for us to understand. The first thing that we saw is total depravity, that we are with completely without God. Uh, we don't seek God, we're born as sinners, and unless God did something in us, uh, we would never seek God. The second thing that we saw is because of that, God chose, before the foundation of the world, before he created anybody, he chose particular people to save them. Then we saw that those people he sent Jesus Christ his son to die for so that Jesus actually was judged for those people. He died in their place for those people who were chosen by God. And then we saw last week the means that God uses is he changes the heart through the preaching of the word of God and and through the gospel. God changes the heart in such a way that those people that are chosen are guaranteed to turn to Jesus Christ, to turn to him in faith. Now the last doctrine we're looking at then is Uh, this continuance what happens after that we become a Christian and this really goes through to the end of our lives and into eternity and this is God keeping his people now uh, we'll go through as we normally do the doctrine defined I'll give you a definition of it and then we'll talk about Uh, what it means, we'll talk about uh, scriptural evidence or support for that doctrine. It'll be a little bit different this time because there are actually two parts to this doctrine, so I'll give each part of it and we'll look at some scriptures that have to do with that. Uh, The first part is the doctrine defined. And I'll just read the Westminster Confession. This is from chapter 17, um, paragraph 1. There is a whole chapter in the Westminster Confession on the perseverance of the saints. I'm just going to read the first one this morning. Those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called, and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. And I'll give you just a sort of a summary. Those who are chosen by God are kept saved by the power of God and by his grace continue following Jesus until death or the return of Jesus Christ. So that's the idea that we're kept saved, we don't lose our salvation, and not only that, that we continue to follow Christ um, for the rest of our lives. And that's what uh, the doctrine is. You should notice, and you should understand by now, with all these doctrines as well as this, all of this is a work of God. Um, every single bit of this is the work of God, so it's not, it's not something that's done by us. This is why R.C. Sproul likes to call this the preservation of the saints. Perseverance, he says, sometimes makes it sound like it's something we do, um, and preservation is perhaps a better word because it, talks, it, it lets us know this is what God is doing. God is preserving us. However, as God... Preserves us, uh, we do persevere, and so that's the idea. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Isaiah twenty six twelve. It really has to do with the sovereignty of God. But Isaiah says, "O oh Lord, you ordained peace for us. Um, all that we have accomplished, you have done for us." So anything that we have done, whether it's, it's uh, if it's something good, if it is a good work, if it is even accepting Jesus Christ, it's something that God has done. So all of our works are things that really God has done. So it, we can take no credit for it. We can't have any pride in our salvation or anything that we do because it's all the work of God. Now, as I said, there are really two parts to this doctrine. There are two parts to it. The first one is eternal security. Well, it is sometimes called the doctrine of eternal security. And that means that once we're saved, we're always saved. When I was growing up, that was a term that was frequently used, or a phrase anyway. Once saved, always saved. That's the idea of eternal security. Now, there are a lot of passages in Scripture that deal with that. I'll go over just uh, four of them at least. Ephesians 1, which we've been going through the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings. Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14 says this. In whom you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him... We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And what Paul is saying there is that when you're saved, you're sealed. The idea of being sealed, uh, even in, in the first century and before that, the idea of sealed is something that can't be revoked. If, uh, if a king sealed something or a document is sealed, that means this is permanent. This can't be changed. And so he's saying you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit of God has sealed you. You can't be unsaved once you have put your faith in Christ. And of course, all that goes along with election. God chose you from the very beginning, um, and so he sealed you by the Holy Spirit, and he is the guarantee. We will inherit um, what was promised, and the Holy Spirit's the seal of that. Um, Some very familiar verses are also John 10, verses 28 and 29. It says, I give to them, and this is Jesus speaking, and we looked at some verses with this already. I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So Jesus pictures this. He says, if you are, if you're a believer, if you're one of my sheep, you're in my hands, and then he says in the second part of that, you're in the Father's hands. No one can pull us out. Now, my dad was uh, talking to a man about this one time. Some was in another denomination where they believed your, you could lose your salvation. And he was quoting that verse to me. He said, well, what about John 10, 28? And 28? And the man said, well, that's all fine and good, but you can jump out. You may not be able to be pulled out, but you can jump out. Well, uh, if you think about that, is that possible? Jesus says, my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Unless you're greater than the Father, which is none of us. You can't pull yourself out. Of course, uh, with this all goes along with regeneration as well. We've been changed. Our hearts have been changed. We don't want to jump out. We don't want to escape. Um, and so, um, in this case, I think Jesus is saying, you are eternally secure. I've given them eternal life. Now, they'll never lose that. Um, again, Jesus says in John six thirty nine, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So he's saying, we remember we talked about that, those who have been given to Jesus Christ are those who were chosen before the foundation of the world. He says, it is the Father's will that I will lose none of them. So none of those who belong to Jesus will be lost. And then in Philippians one six, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So God begins a work in us, and this really goes along with the second part too. But God begins a work in us, he will bring it to completion. In other words, something that God is doing, God chose you and did the work of regeneration in you, he's not just going to let you go. And now you're on your own. He's going to keep us as well. Now, This particular part of this doctrine is something that uh, many, many evangelical churches agree with, and they would say, yes, we believe that. However, uh, the second part of this doctrine, some churches, and even evangelical churches would say, no, I don't think we believe that or that some would adamantly deny the second part, and and that's what I want to go over next. The second part is not just eternal security, but this, continuance in faith and obedience. So that is, those people who are truly saved will continue to follow Jesus Christ, they'll continue to have faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, they won't lose their faith. They will continue following Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you could look at that of Philippians one six. I think is an excellent verse for that as well. If God begins a good work in you, He's going to bring it to completion. The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit has sealed you, so uh, that work that God has begun will continue. You will continue in the faith. But there are several other verses as well. John 10, which is just before 28 and 29 that we read a moment ago. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So if you're one of Christ's sheep, then you are going to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Jude 1 Uh, Well, there's only one chapter in Jude, but at verse 1 and in verse 24, the very beginning and the very end of Jude, this is what Jude says. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. What he's talking about here, those who are called, we talked about that, that effectual calling where God drew us to himself and he regenerated us. um, We are kept by Jesus Christ. So we're not going to lose that. We're not going to lose our faith. Then he says in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That is, God keeps us from stumbling. He keeps us, from, keeps us following Jesus Christ. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And so that's the benediction of his letter. God is the one that keeps us. So he starts at the beginning saying we are kept by the power of God and God presents us. In the end, God presents us blameless. And so uh, God gives us faith and we continue in faith. We continue to follow Jesus Christ because of that work that God has done in us. And then we could go to Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 as well. There uh, Some people... Uh, sometimes look at this and they say, well, this seems like a contradiction in these two parts, verses 12 and 13. Uh, but it's really talking about one process. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with tre- fear and trembling. Paul says you need to work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation, but you need to work it out. In other words, you've been saved. It's going to make a difference in the way that you live. That's what he's saying. But then he says, it, it's not. this isn't just you doing this. He says in verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that if you've been saved, the reason that you're living out your salvation and you're living a changed life is because God is working in you and he's giving you the will to persevere or to continue on and to continue trusting in him. And so we see this throughout Scripture. Um, the idea that not only does God guarantee that we are, when we're saved, we stay saved, but that we continue to follow Jesus Christ. Now, there are people um, who would believe that uh, you, it's, it's possible um, for you to be saved, let's say, become a Christian at some point, and never follow Jesus. I don't think that's a biblical doctrine. In other words, you can just say, yeah, I want to get the fire insurance. I want to get saved. I'm asking Jesus into my heart, but, you know, I'll just kind of go on my way. And they would say, you should follow Jesus. Hopefully you will. But you may not well I don't believe that's a biblical doctrine not according to these scriptures that we've looked at now there's one major objection that comes up a lot of times when you start talking about eternal security or this doctrine in particular and uh, I've heard this question in fact I have a friend who was at one time very reformed and he began looking at the, reading the book of Hebrews and he and he began to think I don't, I don't know that this is that I believe that anymore it seems to me that you can lose your salvation and one of the passages that he would go to and others would bring this up and in in fact churches that believe that you can lose your salvation this is a key passage they bring up and so i think we ought to look at it for just a little bit hebrews chapter 6 and verses 4 through 6 and i'll just read the verses for you and then we'll talk about it just briefly Uh, The author of Hebrews says, For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, basically what they do with that passage is say, well, uh, the author of Hebrews is saying it's impossible for somebody to repent, to be restored, and I guess this actually means that you couldn't be saved if you, once you lost it, um, at least to them, if they took it logically. But they're saying it's possible here for a person to have tasted the heavenly gift, to have shared in the Holy Spirit, they can taste of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, it's impossible for them to come back. So what they point to is to say it is possible to fall away to be a Christian. They're saying this has to describe a Christian person, and then it says uh, they can they can fall away. It's possible, and then they couldn't be restored to repentance. But I think if you look at the passage carefully, not uh, you'll, we'll see that he's not describing somebody who's a Christian here. One of the things you notice here is that at least twice he says they have tasted. Did you notice that? He says they have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Uh, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. And I think he's using that term um, on purpose. There's a reason for that. Um, tasting is not the same as partaking. As in other words, this is somebody who is around Christianity. They're around the church. They've seen the power of God. They've seen the power of God in changing other people's lives. And at least back then, they may have even seen apostolic miracles. These are people who have been in close connection with the truth, with the word of God. They've perhaps were walked with Jesus. Uh, they were with the t- in the time of the apostles. They saw all these powerful works of God, and yet uh, they walked away. Now, who does that sound like that's describing? Yeah, Judas Iscariot would be a perfect example of that. Um, he was not one of Jesus Christ. He did not belong to Jesus Christ, uh, though outwardly he professed that. He was about as close as you could get. I mean, it's been said of Judas that uh, he kissed the door to heaven and went to hell because he was a person who was as close as you could get to Jesus Christ. He walked with him. He saw the power of God. And if you remember, he even went on on that out on the, the missionary group or the missionary trip when Jesus sent them out two by two He saw the working of God. He saw demons cast out and all that. And yet, he wasn't truly saved. He wasn't truly a Christian. And so, I think that's who this is talking about. Uh, It could also refer to somebody like Demas, that Paul refers to in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. He bailed out. He decided he loved the world and everything goes along with that and pleasures of the world more, so he left. But this is not describing somebody who lost their salvation. It was a person who was hanging around that, who uh, we might say grew up in the church. They were around that all the time. They experienced the power of God. They saw the work of God, and yet they walked away. So these are more pe- are people more like what Jesus described in Matthew 7. Uh, in one perhaps very scary passage, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes these people that are going to come up to him at the end of, at the judgment. Um, And these people will come up to Jesus and they say, uh, we did all kinds of wonderful things. We cast out demons. We did all of these things in your name. And what does Jesus say to them? I never knew you. I never knew you. Not, I knew you at one time and then you fell away and you left. He never knew them. And I think that illustrates, again, the fact that we don't lose salvation. Um, But there are some people who appear to have salvation. They may appear that way to us on the outside. We don't know people's hearts. We don't know what's going on inside people. But there are people who fall away because they were never saved. And again, 1 John 2.19, John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, if you're a Christian, you will continue in the faith. You will continue to follow Jesus Christ. They went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. In other words, they were never um, they were never truly one of God's people and that's why they fell away so I think we could answer that objection from that passage just by saying we need to compare scripture with scripture and also to say uh, the author of Hebrews is not describing somebody who is a Christian but somebody who is uh, has been exposed to Christianity he knows the truth he's seen the power of God and yet walks away so those who fall away were not really part of the church to begin with and I think that's what he's talking about Well, at the end of all of these, we've talked about why is this so important. This is a faith to die for. Why is this doctrine so important? And and why do we go over this? Well, I put down three things, at least that I was thinking about, that are encouraging or helpful for me in thinking about why this is important. The first thing is this. It encourages encourages us that when we fail, we do not lose God's love. When we fail, We don't lose God's love. Now, um, we've talked about the fact that when you're a Christian, um, you're going to follow Jesus Christ to the end. But that doesn't mean that we never fail, right? We're not saying that somebody who becomes a Christian, that perseverance means you never sin. It's possible, and the Confession of Faith even talks about that. It's possible for a Christian to even be involved in some terrible sin, like David, uh, committing adultery and murder in the Old Testament, and yet David didn't finally fall away, did he? No, he didn't. You look at people like Abraham. Several times, Abraham's faith really wavered, because God had promised him certain things, and yet he went into Egypt, and then the land of Abimelech, and he had his wife Sarah lie twice, because he was afraid he was going to be killed. He really wasn't trusting God at that point. Those were failures, and yet God didn't throw him off, did he? No, because God had chosen him, um, his faith continued. And even though he failed, he, he didn't lose God's love because God part of God's election is God setting his love on us. And so there are all kinds of people. You can look at Peter. Peter failed miserably. He didn't completely fall away. Right? And even John the Baptist had some doubts. Uh, when, when things didn't turn out exactly as he thought, he began to have some doubts and yet his faith didn't fail. And Jesus even said that of Peter, if you remember that. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And Jesus regularly intercedes for all of us, and our faith is not going to fail. And so we can be encouraged by that. I know that I sin, but when I sin, it doesn't mean that I've, I've lost my salvation. It doesn't, because my salvation is not hinging on what I do, it's hinging on what God does. Um, it's interesting, I was listening to somebody speak here recently, and I'd never heard this before, I don't really know a lot about adoption here uh, in, in this state, but this person was, was telling me that if you are adopted in Georgia... You can never be disinherited. Natural children can be disinherited, he, he said, but adopted children can't. I thought that was kind of interesting, but that's a, I think that would be a, a good illustration of what happens with Christianity. We're actually adopted into the family of God. and In fact, Calvin, John Calvin in the, in the Institutes of the Christian Religion regularly uses the word adoption and um, election interchangeably. He uses those of each other constantly. That we are adopted. God chose to adopt us, to make us his people, and we will never lose that. And so, even though we sin, and even though we do things that are wrong, and we fail, we know... That we don't lose the love of God. And in fact, if you read in Romans 8, uh, verses 31 to 39, um, there's some very encouraging verses that Paul gives us. He says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he says this in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord now that's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints and that's why it is so encouraging to us that God set his love on us and that's going to continue we don't lose that the second thing, reason I think is important, and this goes back to all the doctrines we've talked about, but again, it demonstrates that our salvation doesn't rest on us, but on God's covenant. Our salvation doesn't rest on us, it rests on God's covenant you go back to Jeremiah chapter 31 and just read verses 31 to 34 and perhaps you're familiar with those um, the the new covenant is spoken of in those chapters in that chapter and it says that I will make a new covenant with my people and God had established a number of different covenants but they were all um, climaxed in the new covenant that God was giving to his people is that it's not going to be like the old covenant which you broke He says it's going to be a new one. And if you read through those verses, it's interesting, you see seven times God says, I will. I will. He says, I will make a new covenant. I will make a covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. I will forgive them. I will remember their sins no more. God is saying, I'm going to do everything with that. and Our salvation, and even our continuing in the faith, is something that is rest in God's covenant. It doesn't rest in us. So it's not as though uh, like some churches would want to say well, you've got to keep doing all these things. You've got to make sure you do this and this or you're going to be out of the covenant. You're going to be out of God's love. Or you lose your salvation. This is based on what God does. This isn't based on what we do. This is a work of God and the new covenant is all about what God is going to do. And so our salvation rests in God's covenant. And So again, going back to the first thing, when we fail, we can always go back to God's covenant. We confess our sin to the Lord. We, we confess that we failed, but we, we can say, Lord, my salvation rests on you. It rests on your covenant. And we can be thankful for that. And the, the last thing that it reminds us of, and I think this is this is really talking about the second part of it, but the last thing is this. It reminds us that being a Christian involves following Christ, not just praying some kind of a prayer. Now, the reason I say that is because, as I said before, there are so many Christian groups today that just emphasize the fact that what you need to do is just pray some kind of a prayer, you just ask Jesus into your heart, you get saved, and that's really all that matters. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you ever follow Jesus, and I, th- I think a lot of what goes on here is a lot of superficial decisions are made on the outside where people thought they got saved because they prayed some kind of a prayer and they they went on and that took care of everything, even though they don't love God, they don't care anything about Jesus Christ, they don't follow him, uh, and nothing nothing about God really matters to them. And I think this reminds us that when God does a work in you, there is a change. There will be a change. And so it's not just a matter of, well, I got saved, now I'm going to heaven, I'll just kind of live as I please. People who are really regenerate. People who have been changed by Jesus Christ, who have been chosen, who have been called, are going to follow Him. They're going to continue to follow Him. Now, they may fall. As we said, they may sin seriously at times. Um, and they understand their, their confidence is in what God has done, not in themselves. But they won't stay there. One of my favorite verses is Psalms 37 uh, verses 23 and 24. It says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds his hand. So yes, uh, if there's somebody who's been made righteous in Christ, he, he may fall, but he will not stay down. That person will not stay down. They, are, they, will be, they have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, and they will be restored. And that's what Jesus is promising. That's what uh, this doctrine reminds us of as well. And so when we think about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, or the preservation of the saints. Again, this is something that is really encouraging. It brings glory to God because it says all of my salvation has to do with God. But if it all has to do with God, it means uh, we're not in and out of salvation all the time. We are in Christ. No one can plug us out of the Father's hands. Um, One of my favorite verses has always been John 3.16. That's one of the first verses I ever memorized. My parents had us memorize that when I was a kid. But I think my second favorite verse has to be uh, Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Um, And I think about that regularly. There's no condemnation. You think about that? For all that we deserve for all that we deserve from God, which is judgment, and all the times that I fail, and all the times that I sin, even on a daily basis, and come back to the verse and say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because this depends on him. Uh, one of my favorite songs uh, is In Christ Alone, which is uh, which we sometimes sing in worship services. And some people really get excited about, I think it's the third verse, it talks about Jesus rising again. In fact, I have a tape at home, or a CD at home, of uh, somebody, of a group, a live group singing this and at the point when it talks about you know, up from the grave he arose then, uh, and they burst into applause. But my favorite verse is the last one. And I know it all depends on those first three verses in the song. But the, the last verse says, uh, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And that always sends a thrill through me when I think about that. That nothing... Nothing can separate me from God's love in Christ Jesus. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for everything you've done for us. We've looked at all these aspects of salvation and thinking about um, all the work that you did to bring us to you. We, th- we thank you for that, and I pray that, that, as we have said before, that that would fuel our worship, that we would want to praise you because of your taking people that didn't deserve anything and giving us everything and making us your children and keeping us. We thank you for that. I pray that you would continue to work in us as we um, follow you in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.